Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Fear. It's one of those emotions that all of us experience. It can be crippling, incessant and all-consuming. You know that feeling of anticipation when there's something that you have to do, but it just leaves us feeling worried, shaky and even physically sick. So how do we deal with fear when it shows up? Today's guest has a close relationship with fear. In fact, he's even made a career out of it. Mark Matthews is a big wave surfer, having ridden some of the biggest waves that have ever been ridden by anyone on the planet. Towed in by jet ski, no less, on waves that can be up to 50 foot high. It's kind of the epitome of scary for me. Mark's also had his fair share of wipeouts and substantial injuries along the way. At the time of our conversation, he was currently undergoing rehab, and when we spoke, he was still buzzing, as you'll hear in his voice, having jumped back on his surfboard during the biggest swell that had hit the Gold Coast in 20 years. In this conversation with Mark, we unpack three tools that Mark uses in order to deal with fear, and an experience that he had whilst in hospital that opened up his world to the power of gratitude. So sit back and enjoy the conversation with Mark Matthews. Mark, awesome to be sitting down with you. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. Look, you've recently moved to the Gold Coast, um, no, like only a couple of weeks ago. And Couldn't have timed it any better. Well, I was about to say, <laughs> we've just had the biggest swell in 20 years. Does, does big waves just follow you? Is this I, wish, I wish they followed me and I didn't have to chase them so much around the world. It would make life Stop. a whole lot easier. But occasionally it all lines up and it all lined up the other day. Yeah, but not only have you had that welcome, you were able to get out there on a board after 18 months of rehab. Because when I was prepping for this interview, um, this is probably the first podcast that I'm at risk of potentially fainting because I'm not great with injuries <laughs> and I'm not great with blood. But about 18 months ago, you had a fairly major injury and I'm going to read this out. You disca- dislocated your knee tearing the ACL, LCL, PCL ligaments. So basically it came Everything. off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you tore your artery in your nerve and you fractured your shin. So you've been in rehab for 18 months and then only in the last week you've got yourself back on a board. How is the ride this oh, week? It's been... It's been insane. Like I've been through so many ups and downs with the injury and with the recovery from in the beginning, the doctors and the surgeons tell me that I won't be able to surf again. You know, I need to start reshaping, you know, my life around not being able to surf. Um, So it's just like the lowest of lows. And then as it's slowly come back and my body seems to be healing way better than what the surgeons thought and the rehab's gone better. And then now... I've just eventually gotten to the point. I'm, I'm still wasn't supposed to be in the water for another month, but um, I was chipping away because kind of what I was doing in the gym was seemed hard, just as hard to me as standing on a surfboard. So I started standing on a surfboard on a longboard in really little waves because I felt I can control that situation. That's kind of where the doctors get worried because they think surfing's completely out of control and then I'm going to re-injure it. But I felt really comfortable doing that. So I could surf for, I surfed for about a month on a longboard and just in really little waves. Mm-hmm. Didn't sort of plan to surf anything big at all. And then moving up here just timed it perfectly with the huge swell. 
And I, I even sat the first day out when it, at its at its biggest. It was on um, on Sunday. But the new place that I've got, I can see the whole oh, swell. Tell and me, what was wave the... after wave. Yeah. I could just see them coming through and people just riding like the waves of their lives and it got too much in the end. What and was then, the debate in your head? Like what was going on? Um, it was just nonstop, like how can I sort of brace my leg to get out there, still be able to surf well enough, but if I do wipe out that I won't re-injure it and then it's kind of like, is it worth re-injuring? And then I went back to this injury because I was actually coming back from a shoulder injury when I did this injury and I came back too early and and this happened. So it was just nonstop, like the sort of angels and demons playing around in my head. I bet, yeah. Eventually I had too much of watching it all all day Sunday and then looking at all the photos all night and uh, my really good friend who lives up here, Ryan Hipwood, he, he rang me up and he goes, look, meet me at the boat ramp, 4.45 in the morning, I'll take you out on the jet ski and we'll go out sort of before anyone's out there and I'll just put you onto some really easy ones with the ski and you can see how it feels. And it just went from there. I rode one perfect wave and then it felt good and then had a big one that I wiped out on, didn't hurt myself, and then I felt really comfortable after that and ended up riding sort of two or three really amazing waves that I don't know if you can tell, but I'm still buzzing about. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's unbelievable. And there must be a part of you just going, this is, yeah, if you take yourself back to what those doctors had said at the time, what was that experience like for you? This was your career, your life. It had always been part of you for so many years for a doctor to say, all right, it's time to Yeah, it was so tough new. and it was initially the doctor said, I don't know if, you sa- if I saved your leg. That's what I woke up to the morning after the surgery, the first injury. He said, I don't know if I saved it. And I said, what do you mean? Haven't I just broken my leg? But he said, no, I've had to do an artery bypass and I had all these huge big pins holding my leg still, this big metal framework, <clears throat> crazy amounts of pain. And then sort of he goes, I'll know in the next three days whether the surgery worked or not. So we have to wait to see if a pulse comes in my foot. So for the next sort of three days, every hour on the hour, my my poor fiance was there bedside in the hospital just constantly checking my foot to see if the pulse would come. Yeah. And then lucky enough on the third day it came and I was like, okay, there's the first step. I get to keep my leg, you know. And then they were like, the doctors were like, you can keep it but the nerve damage is too bad. We can't fix it so your foot doesn't work anymore basically. And um, they said, there's not really much chance of being able to surf on this leg and I was kind of at that point I was we'll cut it off like cut it if I can't use it and you think it's going to cause more harm than good if I'm trying to surf cut it off because I have seen amazing surfers amputee surf you know with prosthetic legs so I figured then that's my step yeah right <clears throat> but it um it just kept healing like the the way it did and I I, re, I I actually had all these people with a similar similar injuries from around the world because they're not really common, but people from all around the world who had seen it on social media started writing to me and telling me how they had gone through and what to do and, and get this surgery and get them to fix your foot like this. And then so I kind of followed their lead and then yeah. Yeah, it's got me back to here, which was amazing. But um, it's still such a long way to go. Like I kind of... What happened down the water then felt like I, I kind of cheated it. I, I, I just like made it too easy to be able to ride those waves because then I paddle back out yesterday in like sort of two to three foot waves and try and surf normally and it's really hard. So yeah. I know I've still got a really long road ahead of me. But yeah, yeah but you can long. see the picture there and, 
definitely that, that can see that. Something actually happened in hospital that it, I, it was the changing moment for me. I was sort of did about two two months where I was really down, like because the nerve pain is really, really, it's really bad. Like I would the worst imagine. I've yeah. experienced as far as I was on morphine and all the other different drugs. Nothing could really settle it. And I was just like, and the doctors tell you, like, you're going to have to live with this pain for the next three years minimum. So yeah. that was in my head and I just wasn't moving around. And was there a part of you going, that's it, I may as well Yeah, because when up. I'm in that pain, I was just like, well, I didn't, at that point I didn't really want to surf. I didn't, I didn't want to do that again and have to go through all this again. And then I got a, um, a message on Instagram from, from a young guy who was downstairs in the hospital. He saw that I was in Canberra Hospital and, and he was actually downstairs. And he said, um, oh, can I come up and see you? I've, I've followed your career for a long time. I didn't really want to because <laughs> I was sort of in, in such a shitty mood. Mm. But I, I said, yeah, come up. And uh, he came up and his brother was wheeling him into the room. He was a complete quadriplegic and... It happened sort of six months before my injury. He had broken his neck just snowboarding, going for one last run, nothing like dangerous, just slipped on a bit of ice and broke his neck. And when he came into my room and it's it's pretty confronting when, when quadriplegics shake your hand and their hands don't work properly and it just like kind of shocked me back into reality and gave me this new perspective where I was like, fuck, man, what am I whinging about, you know? Mm. I've only got my leg. Like this poor guy's like quadriplegic and he's got the pain that I've got and he's dealing with it, like smile on his face and he was positive about all these things that he was still going to be able to do rather than he he didn't seem to be focused on what he couldn't do. He's just like, oh, I can't wait to get a drone because like my hands are starting to move more than what they did. And, my fa- and from that day on, I kind of woke up and just every morning I was just happy about my situation because it was nowhere near that bad. And then it just seemed like in that I was just happier every day. Every Like I still slipped off and got depressed a little bit, but then I'd come back and just in general I was so much happier that my leg just started healing so much better. Cause wow. all the Yeah, because I started to get really bad infections because they open your leg up so much all of that stuff started to go away just because I, I felt happier. It was um, it was wild and I think that played a huge part in me getting to where I am this early. So, yeah, I, um, I so I was still in contact with Jason, the, the guy in the wheelchair and he's a... Amazing yeah, story. He's so motivated seeing yeah, this amazing. kid just like how what he's dealing with, how well he's dealing with it and it's just... It keeps everything in perspective. And that choice to go, actually, my situation is... Yeah. Incredible, and I can I can do something from yeah. here. It's just like I guess it's the age old glass half full thing, but it's just constantly just focus on what you can do. You know, like what all the things you can do in your life versus what you can't do. And I just took a leaf out of his book. I completely stopped looking at surfing, and all I look just do what I can. So what can I do now? And then just continually found different things to buy my time, and I just. It stopped me falling off and thinking about what I couldn't do and being sad about it. I just found fun things to do, whether it was a Netflix series or yep. playing the guitar or, or or learning my craft as a speaker, like public speaking. It just gave me so much more time to do that. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, just that one little 
change of perspective. These moments in time, yeah. right? But also that it's a massive le- lesson to them yeah. put into action. I love that concept of just wherever you are and you can have big aspirational goals but mm. don't be overwhelmed by that. Just do what you've got in front of you and get the most out of it and get yeah. the joy and out of that. enjoy what you can do and what you're doing. Like it's just... It's a. It's such a gift a to the people trigger. around you, and yeah. obviously you had that that in my that gift in that Helped moment. Me so much. Yeah. yeah. So I've got to ask a question with you know almost going back to the very start of your career. I understand you grew up in Maroubra, um, in that in that that kind of environment down in Sydney. Um, why big wave surfing? Um. It's weird because I was terrified of the ocean when I was a little kid. Even when I started surfing, I was more scared than all the other kids out in the water all the time, like to the point where my mum used to have to come and paddle out and rescue me on her bodyboard over and over again in the surf because I'd be too scared to sort of catch a wave back into shore and I'd be stuck out there. So she did that like even into my early teens and um, growing up in Maroubra is a really rough, rough uh, <laughs> a neighbourhood and when your mum paddles out on her bodyboard to rescue, it's pretty damn People embarrassing. People are noticing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I... Did you ever I, go... In my head, I wanted to be a professional surfer. There was a certain point in my time I was like, wow, like that just looks like the greatest lifestyle ever. I was in love with surfing, not necessarily big waves, but I wanted to be a world champion surfer or make it to the tour or... Is that Anything what it was, like the aspiration of seeing others that were doing that? If you yeah. were saying, I, I was a, pretty scared. Of- a really close friend who was about five years older than me, Kobe Abedin, and he lived just down the street from me from the time I was about 15 and he was a professional surfer then and I just looked at his lifestyle and, I mean, to a 15-year-old kid when he's got the coolest cars, the hottest girlfriends, he's travelling around the world, he's not working. It I'm doesn't get like, better. How does it get better than that? <laughs> so that. I pretty much was like... I'm going to do whatever I can do to get that career and that lifestyle. And um, it just ended up sort of the way it weaved out. I, I got put in this one position in 2001, I think it was 18, 19, and I was working in a bar because I, I didn't have the sponsorships in surfing to sort of pay my way or, or have it as my career. So I was working to supplement the travel of surfing and doing some competitions. But I didn't see in myself that... I was ever going to be like a top 10 world championship tour surfer and I was kind of at that point where am I really going to keep pushing this? I need to go back and study. It was like kind of that scary moment that yeah. you have when you're a teenager. Yeah, do I let this go? Yeah. I have to actually. And um, I got a call from a, the editor of Track Surfer magazine about this huge wave that broke off the, ta- the bottom of Tasmania and he rang me and he was like, oh, we want you to come down and surf this monster new wave. It's massive. And I was a no one in surfing at that point. So I was kind of like, why is he calling me <laughs> to come and surf this wave? I found out later he called like 35 other surfers <laughs> before he got to like my name at the bottom of the list. And no, no one really wanted to go down there because of the rumours of how big and scary this wave is. But I kind of had to because if I didn't, say yes to him, I would have never gotten that call again and it was the perfect moment for me to kickstart my career. <clears throat> I went down there and there was a couple of other surfers with me and um, we went, like I was terrified in that moment when we turned up alongside this wave. It was probably 15 or 20 feet, the biggest, scariest wave I'd ever seen to date. I'd never surfed anything like it. But there's this thing happening in my life where at the time my mum was really sick and I was living with her and she hadn't been able to work for about five months and it just like 
kicked in the gear in the back of my head that, you know, if she doesn't get better and she can't go back to work, then, I mean, I have to support her, you know. And, and it was just that extra bit of motivation that got me out of the boat in front of those waves to surf. And, and then once I rode one of these waves, like successfully, had a couple bad wipeouts, <laughs> once I rode one successfully, it was best feeling I've ever had, hands down. And then I was just completely in love with it. So it was weird, like a couple things hmm. happened to put me in this position where I never would have put myself there willingly. As kind of, and then once I was there, I kind of found out more or less what I was made of. Like I found out that I could actually do this because when we got the photos back, because this was back in full film day, so we yes. had to wait about a week. <laughs> and when you ride a wave, you know it's big but you can't see really what's going on when it's huge because it's all above out of your vision, it's behind you. And we got the photos back. I was blown away. I was like, well, that's what we were surfing? Like I couldn't believe it. Is that when the fear kicked in? Yeah, and I was <laughs> like, oh, my God, I can't believe I was doing that. Yeah. And then the photos went all around the surf industry and I got sponsorships and, and then that was my formula, go and find huge waves, surf them get the exposure, get paid more money from the sponsors. And I did that for years, up and down, varying degrees of success and scary wipeouts and stuff like that. Has there been a wipeout that has has shook you up? Because I'm sure you've had plenty. This one's definitely the worst and it's going to be the hardest to come back from mentally for sure. Even just getting out into those waves here was really difficult. And, I mean, the waves that I've got to surf are sort of ten times as big as that, so... I know it's going to be super difficult, but I'm slowly, as I'm getting healthier and fitter, because I had a year of really bad pain and pain meds and and opioids and all that to manage the pain, but that just kind of sucks the life out of you. And and that point I didn't, I was like, I I don't think I can ever do it. Mm. But as I've gotten healthier and gotten off all the meds and my body's starting to get fit and healthy, I'm starting to get more and more excited. And then after the moment of surfing the wave a couple of days ago, I'm like, yeah, maybe I can do this. So... Um, that that injury has definitely been the worst. I've had a couple of other really scary ones. Um, one down in Tasmania where I was knocked unconscious, but luckily I was rescued before I, I drowned. <laughs> that was a really scary one because when I came to, I had really bad neck pain and sort of pins and needles going on my hands and legs. And then I thought that I'd broken my neck and it took about sort of eight hours to get from this remote location they were at to hospital to have the scans. And the whole time I was just like stuck on a sort of like emergency brace and then waiting and in my head I was just going, You've, you're never going to surf again. You know, like feeling what I was feeling, I thought for sure I'd, I'd ruin my career, livelihood, everything. Yeah. And that was like that eight hours kind of scarred me more than any other injury because eight hours of thinking it, even though when I got the scan results he said, oh, you're going to be fine, you'll be back surfing in three months. It was like that eight hours just... I don't know, it embedded this memory in my brain that it took me about a year to sort of get over that and get back into big waves. Yeah, wow. Well, what helped you to get over that? What were some of the things? Um, <clears throat> the, the, the most, like, we, I found with fear, regardless of any, any fear that you have, because whether it's sort of uh, a, a fear of physical harm or, or a fear of like an egoic fear of failure or embarrassment or anything like that. Regardless, all the fears affect you the same way, right? You feel the same thing, whether you're nervous about stage fright or whether you're nervous about going into huge surf and drowning. Like 
the, the feeling's the same. Mm. And I've just found over the years the only way to get over that is, is experience, just doing it over and over and over and over again, just that like sort of systematic reconditioning of what you're scared of and get in that scary environment, get in it again, get in it again, get in it over and until you become comfortable, you get that new skill set. It's not so scary anymore. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to do that after the wipeout in Tasmania, but um, I didn't know, like, what was happening was I'd see a huge swell and I knew I'd have to go and surf and slowly chip away and get better and better. But I'd see the swell, for example, on a Monday, I get the the weather report and I'd, that would make it a reality that on Sunday I'm going to be surfing huge waves again. And then for that whole period, I'd just be in this crazy state of anxiety, like nightmares every night. I'd, I'd just constantly be trailing off, imagining worst case scenarios, how this time I probably will break my neck and this wipeout's going to be like, and just everything bad that can happen would play through my head for the entire week lead up to that surf. And then I'd turn up on the day and my actual physical body would feel like it had gone through a million wipeouts before I'd even put a toe in the water. Mm. And I'd be too tired, too exhausted, like usually sick, like with the flu or throat infections or just anything. And I I wouldn't be able to bring myself to surf at all. And it wasn't until I met um, a guy here on on, on the Gold Coast, Nam Baldwin, he kind of helped me manage that fear and anxiety in the week lead up to surfing again. And he gave me a whole handful of techniques, like really simple ones just to break sort of your what happens when you dwell on, on that negative thought for long enough because the thought doesn't, it just plays in the background, right, in your brain. It's just playing, playing like a TV screen playing in the background. <clears throat> and if you turn around and look at that TV screen that's in the background and you watch it for long enough, like you dwell on the thought for long enough, your body freaks out like it's actually happening. And that's what I was doing. So he gave me some simple techniques to just sort of basically turn the volume down on the TV, like just let it play in the background but just come, stop looking at it and come and bring your attention back in the present moment. So breathing techniques, like a regulated breathing where it's, it's meditation basically, focusing on your breath mm. in and out, two seconds, try and make it rhythmical, create a di- diaphragmatic breath pattern, which is a relaxing pattern. So I'd do that. I'd do it sort of three times in a day would make a huge difference just to give your nervous system that little break. Other stuff, um, uh, gratitude techniques, like gratitude, they found such an amazing emotion to combat fear Mm. so just sitting and making yourself write three things you're grateful for and that comes back to what when I saw the quadriplegic kid and and that was like a moment of gratitude that I wasn't going through what he was going through yeah and then all of a sudden I feel better which is a sad way to have to see it but you know I'm so thankful for it and for him for you know giving me that moment but those techniques yeah they're they're just so powerful to use 
Only if you use them consistently, though, I found out. Because that's where fear is so, um, it just takes over. And yeah. you're right, I think what you're describing, that hog, it consuming your world for a week, there wouldn't be a person listening that wouldn't have had that experience for whatever fear, whether it's, you know, presenting something at work or a tough conversation that they need to have. Or exactly, relationship problems or yeah. anything, like you stew on anything for long enough, you uh, watch that TV that's yeah. playing in the back and of your And you're mind. shattered, you're exhausted because yeah. you've been through it <laughs> 50 yeah. times. And, um, yeah, so I used those techniques over and over again and, and started to turn up on the day of the swell. I Still scared, but physically I felt better, like I wasn't sick this time or I wasn't exhausted. And, and then the excitement started to come back and then I started surfing a little bit bigger waves and bigger, bigger, bigger and just kind of got my confidence back from there. And I know that's kind of what I'm going to have to go through again now. And I found every time I let it slip where I don't use those techniques and I let the stress of certain things overtake me and ruin me physically, something bad always happens, always. Like whether it's an injury in the surf or something bad in business or relationship, like, and this is like, this new injury is a perfect example of like, you gotta, you gotta learn to do them when things are going good as well to, to be ready for the bad things, you know, yeah. or to prevent the bad things. I'm Such kinda, an interesting point. Yeah, I'm kind of good at doing them when I really need to do them and then I forget and then I go off again and then let, let it creep in and then something bad happens again. It sort of shocks you. But. Yeah, so is it now part of your daily habit? Yeah. I got, he, he gave me another technique kind of down the line that, that was really handy, um, habit piggyback. Like, and it's where, so you, you, everyone has habits regardless you do every single day, right? You go, hopefully everyone gets up and has a shower every day. You know, you might have a coffee every day. You might um, oh, do brush your teeth every day. So th- there's three, right? So on top of those habits that you're going to do every day, you piggyback the ones you want to implement. So when I'm standing in the shower, I can do that regulated breathing as I'm standing in the shower and then that's my sort of minute, two minutes, you know, three minutes. And then when I brush my teeth, maybe I can do one of the techniques. There's another one's like posture. Posture's like a really good thing to sort of rewire your brain. Um, so have good posture at least while I'm doing that or while I'm waiting for the kettle to boil to have coffee, I've got a notepad there. And the kettle's boiling and I just quickly write three things down. And then in the morning I start off grateful, you know. It, but it's like going to the gym or something. You just have to make it. I don't know if I'm the only person programmed to be pretty negative, but <laughs> the way my mind works is super negative. So uh, it's for me it's like going to the gym. I just got to keep doing it. Otherwise I'll lose track and basically turn around and start watching that TV again that's in the background and it's, it's all there. the negative stuff. Yeah, and it's still on and it's louder than the positive. That's yeah. the problem with it, isn't it? You can have as much positive but it's yeah. just we're hyper alert. Yeah, to, and to that's danger, what, right? Yeah. That's for evolutionary sort of mechanism for yeah. survival. It just seems the way it is. I, I struggled for a long time thinking there was something wrong with me. I had to change that. So I had to change the fact that I saw a whole lot of negative things in the future, you know. But then I realised, you know, it's that's normal. I don't have to change it. I just don't always have to listen to it, you know. So Tell yeah, it that to was be quiet, sit in the yeah, corner. Yeah, or just focus on something else. <laughs> yeah. Or you use it. It's like I can sit. All these things might go wrong. How am I going to deal with them if they do, you know. Like so I just 
actually prepare rather than just dwell, you know, without a sort of solution or putting anything into action. I love that concept of doing it um, when life's going well yeah. because then you've got the muscle for it, you've got the habit for it and you're actually then better prepared because it won't always, even when we've got the stuff in control, but you can Something be... can come across yeah. and get you. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and and yeah. it kind of holds things at bay, I find. You just perform better if you, if you can be in that mind frame. I have to ask because I'm only a very, very beginner surfer. Um, what does it feel like and sound like to be surfing like a 20, 30, 40 foot wave? Oh, man, it's amazing. I, I, I think about this all the time, the sport of surfing. Like it, it has every element. Like if you go through a psych degree and why people love things, it has every element to make you fall in love with the sport and keep loving the sport because... It's addictive. It's <laughs> so addictive, the <laughs> adrenaline you get from riding the wave. But then no two waves are the same. So, and they're, you're all constantly chasing, you know, because, like, the waves won't be there and then they will be there and then there's the ultimate wave. and Like, so it's something you're going to do for life because you're constantly chasing it. Because, it's yeah, the feeling is just is phenomenal. With a big barreling wave, everything... There's this kind of everything in the lead-up's terrifying because you you kind of got to assess the wave and what it's doing and the whole time you're seeing all the things that could go wrong and then you, you sort of get taken out of the back, usually with a jet ski because the waves move too fast so you can't paddle into them. And a jet ski will take you out the back and you'll wait out the back of the wave. More often than not, pretty far offshore, so it's kind of sharky water, especially here in Australia. Mm. So you're kind of freaking out about that as well. And <laughs> Just because you need a few yeah. more few things on top of what you're and doing. And then you kind of got to pick the right wave. So you're assessing nonstop every wave that's coming and moving and it's going like this and this one's the right direction. And then when you find one that looks right, then you go. And then it's just like from, from that moment you're so present as far as when you're toning behind the jet ski into a huge wave it's like you cannot think about anything else it's not possible so are you aware of any sounds any noise like can you just only I, I only get aware of sensations and sounds when the point where you get what we call inside the barrel and you've basically done everything right to get to this perfect positioning inside the barrel and you know that you're going to make it out and there's kind of this sort of usually like three seconds, four seconds where you can relax and you stand back and that's the only time you can take in the roar of the wave crashing right behind you and all the energy in there and it's just like how beautiful it looks. Like it's it's insane. It's, <laughs> it's so addictive. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it would be one of those things that you can't, it's so hard to describe. Yeah. Um, but clearly something that you're chasing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The, the new cameras and stuff make it like we can sort of sh- you can see what it looks like and stuff from our perspective, which is, is pretty cool. What's next for you then? Obviously to continue the rehab, continue the focus, what's the you want to keep chasing those big waves? I do, yeah. My fiancé doesn't want me to. <laughs> My parents don't want me to. The doctors don't want me to, but... Yeah, I, I definitely want to. I, I, I want to surf <clears throat> big waves still professionally for hopefully another sort of three to five years. Mm. I'll never stop surfing big waves, but I'd love to do it professionally sort of for another three to five years. Um, I'm hoping that by the end of this year 
I'll be in a place where I can go and surf in Hawaii and start to surf some bigger waves for the first time there. Um, I've kind of got a plan. If it doesn't work out there, then I'll winter the following year in 2019, I start surfing some bigger waves here in Australia. And then the following year, be ready again for like the best big wave spots in Hawaii in the end of 2019. Like, so How's Jaws your- in Hawaii and Nazare in, in Europe and stuff like that. So. That's kind of my long-term plan. but Say so I'm coming at you. Yeah. This is your, your way. How is your, because you described that first big wave and the purpose behind that, how has your purpose for riding big waves changed over the years? Um, it, it's like it's a combination of things because you love the feeling so much but the feelings doesn't always outweigh the fear of it. But then when it's your career and, and your, you know, you're sort of, career relies on and your finances rely on as well it's just another purpose that you attach to doing it as a career so it's kind of extra motivation I don't I don't like there's a lot of people that in surfing and other sports that you do it for the purity of it which is awesome and I will do that for sure when it's not my career but it is my career you know and and it pays my bills and it supports my family it does all that so that's a huge motivator for me to continue to push myself in big ways um, if I lose the love or the feeling of it, then I'll, I won't do it anymore. But as long as those two, sometimes I go, I, I think too much about the career side and it drains me because you get all the extra stress and pressure from, <clears throat> from sponsors and financial pressure and wondering what people are thinking of what you do. Like all that's added stress to the stress of drowning. So I always feel like when all that goes away, It'll be relaxing to surf big waves, which is strange. It's kind of, and they're all the same pressures that everyone else feels, you know, job pressure and pressures of expectations of people and stuff like I've that. I've got to perform and it's, got to it's perform, like anyone. Yeah, whether, being judged by people, like all that type of stuff. So Yeah, being promoted, the next thing yeah. that I've got to, got to move on from do. And it's it's interesting that you describe it because often with surfing, you, th- you know, it's it's kind of has been pictured for many years and there's definitely, um, you know, it's now there careers and they're supporting but it's a very chilled out kind of lifestyle that's what yeah. you go and do but there's really this this it's a work it's a job yeah um, the best part of it is is kind of the best training for surfing is surfing that's why it's such a when when um you speak to all the other athletes and i speak to a lot of like uh football clubs nrl afl and and to other high performing athletes and extreme sports athletes um when when i do talks with them and then they're always so jealous that they would love to do surfing as a career sport because they like so if I go to a football club, you got to do the hardest training ever for that small moment of how much you love the the game. Whereas surfing, it's like you're training surfing, so every moment of training is amazing <laughs> as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's so the journey itself is pretty that cool. That part of it, yeah, <laughs> that part of it, it yeah, it's, uh, it's ideal sort yeah. of career path for a sport. Yeah. You don't have to do the millions of laps in a swimming pool to win that Olympic gold. And, for 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah, or yeah, so every aspect of it. And I think that's why a lot of athletes kind of like their second sport's always surfing, like they love surfing. Yeah, yeah. comes their outlet. And so obviously with, um, I love those concepts of, you know, gratitude and, and putting that into your daily practice and really, fo- you know, focusing on whatever your fear is, how you can tackle that. The name of this um, podcast is called Stand Out Life. And so in wrapping up our conversation, if I were to say to you, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? What comes to mind for you? Uh, I think 
the less it's about comparison to other thing, other people and what they're doing. And if if you stand out and the feeling of standing is more surrounded around how you did something better than you did it yesterday or how you perform better because if you do that and stop worrying about what other people do and stop comparing yourself, you love the feeling of just getting better. And uh, to me that's the best like sort of performance thing that the most you can enjoy life is doing that versus oh, I want to be the winner of this so that I'm the best at it. The, 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 the moment's not any better than you just going, oh, I can do that better, you know. It's crazy. Like I rode that wave at Kira that I rode a couple of days ago, it wouldn't even go to my top 100 waves. Like and if it was judged by com- like uh, judges on the day, it would have been probably a three or four out of ten whereas there were 10-point rides going down everywhere. But the feeling to me was it was one of the best, most memorable waves of my life because I'd just been getting better and better every day. I didn't worry about I didn't get the best wave of the day. To me, that it was the best wave because it was me getting better than what I was yesterday, you know. And I lose that feeling, that that concept sometimes. Like I start chasing you want to be the best or that. But if you just like I feel it's so much more motivating to just just be the better at than you were forget comparison I think then you're living a standout life eventually you'll just all of a sudden stand out compared to you know anyone around you I love that and uh you know even I think about you're right this week because I've watched it a bit on social media and um it's clearly impacted a few other surfers that have known your journey as well and so that ride meant a ton to them yeah I had so many people message me that were going through bad injuries from just all over different sports and they're like oh you got me motivated to that I can come back from like bad injuries so that was really cool because I had guys that were motivating me, a guy in Sweden especially. He was sort of one of the most more athletic people that I found who had had this injury because it's a car crash injury. Not many people have it. He was someone who I knew was pushing the recovery to get back to all the different things he'd done. So I just focused on he was showing what was possible and he, he helped me so much. Keep turning up. Keep doing better than yesterday. Mark, it's been such a delight to chat with you. All the best for the next wave, the next ride. It'll be exciting. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real-world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.